Welcome. We are glad that you're here today. I'm glad that you're here today. We get a lot of our church family traveling over the holiday weekend to be with family. And uh, Carrie and I were talking on the way here that we love being here, but it's a little bit sad because all four of our children are gone somewhere else. They've, our grandbaby's not here. We just, you know, we reminisced about the days when we'd get in the van to come to church and it was just so full we couldn't hardly get everyone in. And, and those days are changing. But the reason that we come to church is not for our kids. The reason we come here is Jesus. He's the reason for what we do. And that reason, I mean, we love to be with our kids, but that reason, that reason's still here. You know, Jesus, throughout His life, there were, in the Bible at least, turning points. Points that were uh, major changes in, in the things that were going on in His life. As you read in Scripture, one of those turning points is when He was 12 years old and He was in the temple. He got left there by His family. They didn't realize that He wasn't with them and they got a day away and, oh no, little Jesus isn't here. And they went back and they looked for Him, finally found Him in the temple. And he said, what'd you look for me for? You should have known I'd have been right here. Now I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Another turning point in the life of Jesus was when his cousin John was baptizing in the River Jordan. He was baptizing lots of, just people from everywhere were coming. And John was a strange guy. I mean, he wore leopard skin clothes and he ate locusts and wild honey and lived out in the wilderness, you know. And I mean, I don't imagine that they hung out together a lot as cousins. I mean, Jesus was in a different part of the world at the time. But Jesus comes to him, just like everyone else. And Jesus comes up to be baptized. And of course, John knows who he is. And John says, oh, you know, you ought to be baptizing me, not me, you. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so. We need to fulfill all righteousness turning points. There's a turning point that happens in the life of Jesus. You know, from the time He was baptized, He begins what we call His public ministry. In other words, He went around preaching publicly. Up to that point, He was a carpenter. We don't know a lot about what happened in His life. But most of your Gospels are from that point to His death. And in that, as He went around, He quickly made enemies. Okay? Do you have enemies? We don't like enemies, do we? I mean, we don't like to have enemies. We, like, we want everyone to like us. Jesus had lots of enemies, especially the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day who were very jealous of Jesus. And at different times, they tried to arrest Him. They tried to stone Him. They, they tried to do things like that. But there was one particular incident in the life of Jesus that really solidified their hostility toward Him. This incident occurs in a city called Bethany. And Bethany is this little city right here squared in red. It's just outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus had some close, close friends. In fact, there's several stories in the Bible about these close friends. It was a guy named Lazarus and his sister Mary and his sister Martha. And they were very dear friends of Jesus. And often we find Jesus at their home. You may remember one time Jesus goes to their home and Martha's busy trying to be the good hostess and Mary's sitting in there listening to Jesus. And Martha comes to Jesus. She says, Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all the work? And He says, 
Martha, you're, you're busy about a lot of things, but Mary's chosen the greater thing. Jesus is working and he receives word that his friend Lazarus is sick. Seriously sick. He's sick to the point that he's eventually going to die. Now, when his disciples and he received this word that Lazarus is sick, you know, Jesus has been healing people all over. I mean, everywhere he goes, he heals all kinds of things. We know that Lazarus had seen him heal people, and Martha and Mary, they knew he could do that, so no doubt they sent word to him saying, Lazarus is bad, Lord, come. He didn't. He just stayed where he was and kept doing what he was doing. And the Scriptures tell us that Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He says, you know, this sickness is not a sickness unto death, but it's a sickness that's going to produce glory. And it's going to glorify the Son of God. We're going to talk about His glorification and how this happens. But you know what? Just a little bit later, Lazarus dies. Isn't that a little odd to you? Jesus says, this isn't unto death, but it's unto glorification, and then he dies. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples, Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there, that you may believe. Now, can you imagine saying that you were glad a friend had died? But he has a reason. He says, I'm glad I wasn't there because, you know, what would have happened if Jesus would have been there is he'd have healed Lazarus. And they believed that, but, you know, this is a different step. What he's going to do is he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and that's a, that's a different step than healing someone. I mean, that's a different level. Look at this. When he gets there, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Just verifying what Jesus said earlier, I'm glad I wasn't there. She says, if you'd been here, you'd have saved him. Everyone knew that Jesus could save people. Even people who were on the point of death. Everyone who'd been with him, they'd seen his miracles. They'd seen what he did. And they were not amazed. I mean, I'm sure they were amazed, but they weren't as amazed at that as they were going to be at this. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Of course, she's got a long-term view. She understood the resurrection. She says, oh, I know, Lord, in the judgment day, but that's not a lot of comfort to me right now. I mean, I know I'll see Him someday. And Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's interesting to me that he says this, and then he asks her, do you believe me? You really believe this? That would be hard to say yes to when your brother who believed in him and was one of his best friends just died, right? And Jesus says, if you believe in me, if you're alive, you won't die. But Martha, she got the bigger picture. She understood, and she said to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe You are the Christ, the Son of God. She didn't say, yes, Lord, I believe He'll never die. I believe that You'll bring people back to life. She said, yes, <laughs> I know who You are. 
I know who you are. And because I know who you are, I know that, that what you're saying is true. And some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Even the crowd that's gathered around at this time knows what Jesus can do. They've seen what Jesus can do. The disciples knew He could heal them. Martha knew He could heal them. Mary knew He could heal them. And now all the crowd standing around going, Man, you know, shame Jesus wasn't here. He could have healed Him. Surely He could have saved Him. And Jesus tells them, Open the grave. And the family begins to protest. The family says, listen, <laughs> Jesus, uh, he's been dead four days. And their embalming process was not like our embalming process today. Uh, said, his, his body's rotting. He's stinking now, Lord. You don't, you, you don't want to open the grave. It's going to be bad. No, Jesus said, open the grave. So they roll back the stone and open the grave. Now Lazarus was a very wealthy man. He would have been buried in a rich man's grave, just like Jesus was going to be someday. A grave that was carved out of a rock with a, a big boulder with a big rock rolled in front of the door. And they rolled that aside, and Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth! Catch the kids' attention. <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. What do you think the people thought when they heard Jesus do that? Do you think they looked with expectation? Do you think they thought, does this guy not know he's dead? What do you think crossed their minds? I don't know what I would have thought. I try to put myself in these situations and, and imagine myself standing there with the crowd and watching Jesus do this. And I, I don't know what I would have thought. I mean, I would have had confidence He could have saved Him, but I just don't know. But the doubts were quelled quickly. And He who had died came out, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and His face was wrapped with a cloth. This was not zombies and the walking dead. This was somebody really who had been dead being alive again. Now, that's interesting that this happens. A lot of people believe on Jesus. The disciples, their faith just goes through the roof. But there's some people there. There's some people there who are just... You know people like that, right? They're just suspicious natured and they just, they're just not buying what religion is selling. They're not buying what Jesus is selling. They, they just don't. And you know what these guys do? They run and tell the Pharisees. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. So they went and they went to their religious leaders, people they trusted, people they had confidence in, who were the, the leaders of the Jewish faith. And they went and they tell them, look, Jesus just raised a guy from the dead. What are you going to do now? And they're concerned. They're real concerned. They said, we've got to do something about this. We've got to do something about this because if we don't, everybody's going to believe in Jesus. Can you imagine if somebody in Denton raising people from the dead? 
do you think the elders here would go, hmm, everybody's going to start believing in this guy. We've got to find out what's true or not. Right? That's what these guys were doing. In fact, these guys had had conflict with Jesus since the beginning of His public ministry. And the Bible tells us that from this day on, they plotted to put Him to death. You know, before Jesus would do something and people would get outraged and they'd get angry and they'd say, let's stone Him, you know, and if we see Him again, we're going to kill But now, this is a turning point. Things have changed. From now till the time He's hanging on the cross, these leaders of the Jewish nation are plotting they're planning, they're meeting in these clandestine secret meetings. How can we get Jesus? How can we arrest Him? How can we kill Him? You know, another thing they try to do, and we don't talk about it much in this lesson, but they plot to kill Lazarus too. They say, you know, let's kill him. Because if he's walking around alive, everybody's going to know he's alive. But if we kill him again, why well, he's going to be dead and that's going to solve that problem. But they begin to plot to kill Jesus. Now, we are beginning a series of lessons here on the road to the cross. You've probably heard a series of sermons about the things that Jesus said while He was hanging on the cross, the seven sayings of Christ. You know, we've preached a series about that here. But what this series is going to be is from this point till He's hanging on the cross... What did He do? Jesus knew what was going on, right? Jesus knew they were plotting His death. And Jesus knew where He's going to end up in just a few months. He knows what's going to happen. He knows where He's going and He knows the end result of this trail, this path that He's on. What does He do? You know, there was a song a few years ago about uh, live like you were dying. Where the guy talks about, you know, he, he talks to some guy that had cancer and he says, you know, I'm going to die. And so what did I do? Well, I rode a bull and I went skydiving and I read the Bible and I did all these things that I'd wanted to do all my life. You have a bucket list of things you'd like to do in your life. If you, if you knew the end was coming in just a few months, you know, I've got a bucket list of stuff that I'd like to do. But the reality is if I knew death was coming in a few months, if I knew that, there's a whole bunch of stuff that just get marked off the bucket list. I'm not going to waste my time. It's just stuff I'd like to do. But there are a few things. There are a few things that really, really matter. And what we're going to do in this series over the next 12 weeks or so is we're going to follow the things that Jesus does. We're going to go because initially after this, what happens is that Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with His disciples. Jesus knows that they're plotting to kill Him, and so He leaves Bethany, and He goes through Jerusalem and up through the Judean wilderness to a city called Ephraim. And when he gets to Ephraim, Ephraim's not any different than any other city. There are people that 
are victims. They're people who are suffering. They're people that Satan is taking advantage of and is persecuting and torturing. And Jesus meets a woman in Ephraim. And this woman catches the eye of Jesus. You see, she's got a, she's got a physical ailment. She's got a health problem. She's had it for years. I believe 18 years it says. And she was all stooped over. Have you ever seen anyone that was just all stooped over and couldn't stand up? That's the way this woman was. And Jesus sees her and He heals her. There was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. And He laid His hands on her and immediately she was made straight. Jesus sees this poor suffering woman and He comes and He lays His hands on her. And immediately, the problem that she had, the suffering that she suffered, went away. It was healed. It was done. It was cured. It was taken care of, you see. And the Scriptures teach us that when when Jesus did this, it was on a Sabbath day. Now, you know what a Sabbath day was. That was Saturday. And under the Jewish law, you weren't to do any work on Saturday. And so, this brings him into conflict with the religious leaders there. They see a chance. They're plotting. And they see a chance. We can get Jesus because He's done something on the Sabbath day. And the way Jesus deals with them is fascinating. We're going to cover that. We're going to talk about that story. Then he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. He stays in Ephraim for a while, but after a while in Ephraim, he begins to travel now again out in the wilderness and he begins to travel through this area toward Jerusalem. Now he's not in Jerusalem yet, but he's on the way. And as he's going, he stops at one village and a lot of these villages aren't identified by name. We don't know exactly where he was. But we know what teachings He gave. And He gathered His disciples around and one of them asked Him a question. They said, Lord, are there going to be a lot of people saved or just a few people? And Jesus answered. And He said, strive to enter through the narrow gate because there's a narrow way and there's a broad way. And there's a lot of people that are going to go on that Broadway, that wide gate. They're going to go. And there's a lot of people who are going to strive to enter the narrow gate, but very few are actually going to do that. Very few are actually going to enter that narrow gate. What's the difference in the broad gate and the narrow gate? How do you know if you're walking through that narrow pathway or if you're walking through the broad pathway? How do you know? There's a lot of people that think they're walking the narrow way, But Jesus said that a lot of people won't be walking the narrow way. We're going to learn from the teaching of Jesus exactly how you can know if you're walking that broad way or that narrow way. And so he gets to Jerusalem. He goes into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath. So he's right down in amongst the enemy now. He's right in the den of the snakes. And when he gets in there, they're going to have this feast And he looks around and he sees everybody trying to get the best seats in the house, the most important seats, and he tells them a story. He says, For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And his story went like this. When you go to a feast 
and you go in, don't go choose the best seat. Because if you choose the best seat, and then somebody comes along and says, excuse me, uh, you need to move, you're in somebody else's chair. You're going to be humiliated and embarrassed. But if you go in and you choose the lowest seat, you choose the humble seat, and someone comes in and goes, oh no friend, what are you doing down here? You're supposed to be at the head table. You see, there's a difference. I always think of that when I'm traveling with a group of people. And, you know, maybe it's a group of people I don't travel with very much and we go to the car to get in. You know, teenagers are always yelling, Shotgun! (laughs) I want to sit in the front. But I always think about this. You know people, don't you, who always take the front seat? And then you know other people who always say, no, no, you go ahead and sit in the front. I'll sit in the back. Jesus teaches one of the most common themes in this last trail that He has, this last path, this road to the judgment, or to to the cross, rather. One of the most common themes is this. You need to be humble. You don't lift yourself up. You serve. And Jesus is going to teach that in many occasions over and over. And then He immediately turns to the guests who've been invited to this dinner and He tells them another story. He said to them, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, but they all with one accord began to make excuses. And He tells the parable of the great feast and about the excuses that people make. And you know, there's tremendous insight in our lives. Because just like you, I make excuses sometimes. We all do at times. And he handles or talks about the excuses that people make and God's answer to that. So he goes on out into Jerusalem and true to form, he can't get away from the crowds. Now great multitudes went with them. And so he turns to them and he says to them, you need to count the cost. These people are walking with Jesus. And Jesus tells them, if you don't love me more than you love your family, you can't be my disciple. If you don't love me more than you love your friends and your kids, you can't be my disciple. If you don't love me more than you love yourself, you can't be my disciple. You need to count the cost. You need to see what it's really worth to you. You don't build a tower without seeing if you got the money to finish it. You don't go to war to see without seeing if you can win the war. And you don't start this without deciding whether you're going all of your life or whether you're going to stop at some point. And he talks about table salt. And he said it's good unless it has no flavor. If it has no flavor, it's worthless. You don't want to be that. You see, Jesus knew where He was going. All these people are crowded around Him and they're following Him and they want to go with Him. They don't want to go though where He's going. And He ends that up by saying, you take up your cross and you follow me. Take up your cross means, hey guys, you know where I'm going? That hill outside town? That's where I'm headed. And if you're going to come with me, that's where you got to go. You don't come with me and get richer and more famous and lots of goodies. You come with me and you die. That's what coming with me means. And you got to be willing to give up your family and your life and your friends and your money and everything you got. And then he talks to them 
the Pharisees that are standing around always watching and always listening. And he talks about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And these guys, you know, they, they fancied themselves holy men of God. But they weren't holy. They were religious, but they weren't holy. They didn't want to serve Christ. They wanted to be served. And he talks about this, and, and the, the punchline in this is the older son, because all these stories are about the attitude of the older son. And in the end, the older son is bitter, and he's angry, and he's selfish, and he's passive-aggressive, and Jesus has the father telling him, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. There's a, there's a thread of commonality among all of these stories. And in the lesson on this, we're going to see what that thread of commonality is. And Jesus tells them a story that was very offensive. They did not like this story because you see the wealthy people are the bad guys in this. There was a rich man and Lazarus. And this, I believe this was not a parable. I believe this was a real story. Jesus never used names in any of His parables, but He calls this guy by name. And Jesus tells about this poor man named Lazarus who laid at the gate and begging for crumbs of this rich man. And the dogs came and licked his sores. That's the only medicine he had. And they both die. And one of them ends up in torment, begging for the help of the other one. And it's the rich man who's tormented. And he begs G- or Abraham in the story to send someone back. And Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. And he says, no, but if somebody went back from the dead... Now, Jesus already raised someone from the dead, right? He's already brought someone back. And Abraham says, no. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe it even if someone comes back from the dead. You know, that's already been proven true, hasn't it? By these very people. Because somebody came back from the dead and they're trying to figure out how to kill the guy. They didn't change. Their heart didn't turn. Because their heart was already hardened. And then Jesus goes to Galilee. Now Galilee was a long journey from where they were at. Galilee was way up in the north part of this map. There you go. Way up at the top. And Jesus walked a long, long way toward Galilee to get away from Jerusalem. He would go, it's interesting to me as we see this path, because He goes into Jerusalem, agitates for a little bit, and then He leaves. And then He comes back to Jerusalem and agitates Him some more. And then He leaves. And He goes about because He's got more things to do, and He is building this circumstance up. When He gets up there, He talks to His disciples. And this is mainly during this period of time, Jesus privately with His disciples, not Totally, but, but primarily. And he tells them the parable of the unjust steward with the story or with the moral that he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. You know, that's an important and valuable thing for all of us to learn and to understand is that if you want to be considered faithful, you've got to be faithful in small things. You can't just be faithful in the big things that you think you're going to learn. But you have to be faithful in the small. 
And then he talks to him about forgiveness. You know, Jesus talks a lot about forgiveness. It's not just forgiveness of God for you and I, but it's also forgiveness of man to man. And Jesus said to the disciples, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. The reason he said that is because he told them to forgive. And he said, forgive and forgive and forgive. And the disciples said, oh, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, it's not a matter of great faith. If you had faith just like a mustard seed, you could do great things. It's not a matter of great faith. Do you have someone you need to forgive? You need to be here for this lesson. You'll learn the message of forgiveness and how you can forgive and why that's so critical and fundamental. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer earlier in His ministry, had given the Lord's Prayer one of the parts of that prayer was very simply, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that's the only part of the prayer that Jesus commented on after it was over. And He said, you know what? If you don't forgive, God will not forgive you. Bottom line. You're going to learn about the forgiveness that Jesus taught. And then He runs into a guy who probably would be very comfortable with us. This guy would sit on these pews and he would be a part of this congregation probably because he was a good man. And he was a wealthy man. He was a successful man. He was young and he was a ruler. And he did good. I mean, he lived a good life morally. He was upstanding. Jesus told him, he asked Jesus what to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus told him, well, you know, you need to keep the commandments. He says, which ones? And Jesus rattles off a bunch of the commandments. And he goes, Lord, I've done that. I've been keeping those commandments because he was a good guy. Really good fellow. Jesus said, just one thing you lack then. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the man went away sorrowful. The man didn't want to give away everything he had. And he said, you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. Well, he loved the treasure in heaven. He wanted that, but he wanted the treasure here on earth more than he wanted the treasure in heaven. And he went away sorrowful. It's really hard, isn't it, to get your mind up there and not here? Isn't that hard? It's hard for me. Hard for me to keep my mind. Because I just get, you know, I can see the stuff here. And that's really difficult and challenging. But we're going to learn in this story of Jesus with this wealthy man what really matters and how that you and I can put our minds you know the thing that's interesting to me about this while Jesus is talking to this guy he's wanting to be with Jesus he's wanting to have eternal life he sees Jesus as this great successful missionary leader of of the nation of Jewish nation Jesus is standing here talking to this guy knowing I'm fixing to go die <laughs> and if you're going to follow me guess where we're going you can't bring all that stuff with you guy now, he doesn't know that, but Jesus does. You can't bring it with you. Then Jesus turns around and heads back down to Judea. He departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond Jordan. Now, Judea is way down to the south. Judea is down south of Jerusalem even. And in Judea, Jesus 
begins to talk about last things. He begins to tell parables about things that are coming to an end. He tells a parable about the laborers. And, you know, in this parable, Jesus says this guy goes out and hires people and they go to work. And then he comes back a few hours later and there's more people on the corner. So he hires them. And he comes back a few hours later. There's more people on the corner and he hires them. And he hires people all day long. And at the end of the day, he pays everybody the same money. And the people who worked all day are going, well, that's not fair. They got as much as we did. And they didn't even have to work but two hours. And I worked all day long. Jesus begins to hit at the heart of these Pharisees, of these religious leaders. Jesus knows He's changing the world. Israel's been God's people for thousands of years. And now Jesus, when He's resurrected, is going to tell His disciples, you go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And the Jews are not going to like that. They're going to have a big problem with these Gentiles coming in. Jesus knows that. And Jesus is preparing them. And you'll learn a great lesson out of this parable of the laborers. And then, we've get, it's an odd little story because it's just kind of tossed in there. James and John's mother, she loves James and John. And she comes to Jesus and she goes, Lord, <laughs> evidently she believed in Him. She says, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I just have a request why don't you let my boys just sit on your right hand and your left hand? I think most mamas can identify with wanting that for their kids, can't they? I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? Even dads can identify with wanting that for their kids. I mean, I, I think about Jacob and I go, wow. You know, if he could be the one that Jesus says, okay, this is my man right here. <laughs> man, that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? And Jesus, once again, talks to them about this problem that they all have. Seeking preeminence. They want to be the most important. They want to be lifted up. And Jesus says, whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Most people don't want to be servants and slaves. Most people want to be the ones giving the orders, not taking the orders. I can identify with that ambition. And it's, we find that over and over in the disciples. Then Jesus enters and passes through Jericho. So Jesus travels on over to Jericho. Now you remember Jericho. Jericho was the city that was destroyed when the walls fell down, when Israel originally came into the, city of, or to the land of promise. They're being led and they come in and they march around the city and the walls fall down. Well, this city's still there, although now it's a Jewish city. It's an Israelite city. And there in this city, he meets a guy who is an odd duck. I mean, he's a little short fella, and he's a businessman, and he's a tax collector, and he's not anyone that anyone would like. He, in my mind, do you, have y'all seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay? He's like Mr. Potter, the rich old man that nobody likes, and he's difficult to get along with, and, but he hears Jesus is coming. And this guy, unlike Mr. Potter, does have goodness in his heart, and he does seek Jesus, and Jesus goes and he sees this little businessman hanging out in the tree trying to get up where he can see Jesus. And Jesus stops and he looks at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, I want to go to your house today. 
And the Bible says this day salvation came to the house of Zacchaeus. The Bible says for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, Jesus went to the undesirables. Jesus went to the people that nobody else was interested in. Jesus loved the lost. He cared about the lost. He didn't sit in righteous judgment against the wicked lost. He loved the lost. And He went to seek them. Now they had to turn. They had to change and give their life to Him. And Zacchaeus did that. Zacchaeus was this kind of man. It's a fascinating little story and a lot to learn when we go into that lesson. And then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho and He heads back then to Jerusalem. And once He gets down by Jerusalem, He goes to Bethany like He always does to the house of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And He's there eating in Bethany and this woman comes in and she's not named. I suspect it may have been Martha or Mary, but I don't really know. She's not named and she comes in and she anoints Jesus' feet with oil, very expensive oil. And then she dries it with her hair. Okay, She had long hair and dries and cleans His feet. And that causes indignation, especially of Judas. Judas is going, man, we could have sold this, you know, and I don't know what we're wasting all this money on Jesus' feet for. You know, when Judas is really corrupt in his heart, he wants the money. But Jesus tells him, He says, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. She has done what she could. And in this lesson, when we get here and we learn this story, we're going to be challenged to do what we can. Have you done what you can? Jesus takes this woman and this insignificant little thing she did, and He said, this will always be told wherever the gospel's told. Because she's done what she could. I can tell you in my life, there's been a lot of times when I could have done things I didn't do. Hmm? You know what I mean? This woman did what she could. And you're going to be challenged to do what you can. If we would all do what we can, what a difference we could make in the world around us. And then Jesus leaves Bethany and He travels on to Jerusalem. We said this, He went ahead going up to Jerusalem. And this is His last entry into Jerusalem. Then as He was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And so He rides into Jerusalem on this donkey fulfilling the prophecy. And people are laying their clothes and branches out in front. And they're crying, Hosanna! Hosanna! King of the Jews! And the Pharisees are upset and they said, Tell them to stop! And He says, If they stop, even the rocks are going to cry out in joy and worship of Me. They expect Jesus is coming to be king. And you know what? The Pharisees do too. <laughs> they expect Jesus is going to try to take over. And they know they've been His enemy. And this plot, the urgency is upon them now. We've got to kill this guy and we've got to kill him quick. And they're trying to find a way to kill this guy quickly. So he goes to the temple and he is challenged by the Sadducees, the religious leaders. They just can't learn their lesson. They keep trying to embarrass him in front of everyone. And so they cook up this story. In the resurrection, this man was married and he dies. And so his wife marries his brother and he dies. And where's another brother and he dies? They all die in the resurrection. Whose wife is she going to be? 
And Jesus says, you, you don't know anything about the resurrection. There's not marriage in heaven. Heaven's not about these earthly relationships. The Bible tells us then that they, they were done. They were done trying to embarrass Jesus. They knew they could never succeed. And so they got serious about the job of we're just going to kill Him. He says, He's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to Him. And then as He walks, He looks at the temples and He makes some dire predictions, some prophecies. In Matthew 24, He tells about how it's going to be destroyed and there's going to be the gathering of the eagles around the corpse, around the body. And He prophesies the destruction of Jerusalem here. He says these buildings are all going to be torn down. There's not even going to be a stone left on. And then He tells them, He says, you know what, guys? I'm telling you this is going to happen, but I want you to understand this generation won't pass until this happens. It's going to happen during your lifetime. What an insult to the powers that be. What a challenge to them. And that's a fascinating passage that's been misappropriated and misused for years to teach other doctrines, but we'll learn the truth of those prophecies. And he watches a woman put some money into the treasury. Many people are giving money. And this woman, she gives what little she has. She's a poor, poor woman. And truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty. <clears throat> Many of you know that uh, I go to Nigeria and do missionary work over there and we recently raised some money for that effort. And there was quite a bit of money raised. But I was talking to my wife about that after we left and I said, you know, honestly... I would be really surprised if anyone had to skip a meal because of what they gave. I'd be really surprised if anyone didn't get to go on a vacation because of what they raised. Now, there may have been someone. But the truth is, most of us, when we give, we give out of our abundance, don't we? The Lord has given us abundantly. This woman gave, she gave what, what she had. She gave everything she had. She gave out of her poverty. And Jesus has a fascinating story, a fascinating message for us out of that. And then He tells a parable because the end is drawing near now about wise and foolish virgins. And He tells them, you need to watch for you know neither the day nor the hour which the Son of Man is coming. He said, it's coming. And when He says Son of Man, He's talking about the Son of Man that was spoken of in the Old Testament. The Messiah the Son of the living God, He was called the Son of Man, said, you don't know. You don't know when this is going to happen. You need to be prepared because the day is coming. And then He tells a parable of talent. He says, men were given different amounts. Some were given a lot and some were given a little. And those who were given a lot, some of them used it. And the guy who was given a little, he just didn't want to use it. And Jesus says, for I say to you that everyone who was who has will be given, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Now, he's still striking at the religious leaders of the day, but there's a message for you and I in that. You see, the talents were opportunities that they had. 
And some people use those for God and other people don't. Other people take advantage of the opportunities that God gives them. And some people, we just let them go right on by. And this guy who didn't do anything, he said, well, Lord, I know you, and I know you're not going to be fair, and I know you're not going to be just with me, so I didn't even try to do anything. And we find Jesus' rebuke to him and his reward to the others. And finally, he takes his disciples, and he takes them in, to the Last Supper. And He breaks bread and gives thanks and gives it to them and He says, this is My body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of Me. You know, here in a few minutes we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. The Supper that He instituted that night. And He teaches them that things are going to change. That His body is being sacrificed. His blood is being given for all people. They don't understand this. He tells them one of them's going to turn against him. They don't understand. They don't get. It. They look and they go, "Lord, is it me?" And then Peter begins to say, "I'll never turn against you." And he says, "Peter, before morning you're going to deny me three times." And Peter, "Not me, Lord. I'll die with you." And he meant it, but he was wrong. He wasn't going to die with Jesus that day. Eventually, he would die with Jesus, but not that day. That day, he was going to run like a coward, like everyone else did. And Jesus established, and it, in this lesson, we're going to go into that room with the disciples, and we're going to see Jesus with the twelve as Judas gets up and leaves to betray Him and the things that are told. And then we'll see Jesus get down on His hands and knees, and He'll wash the feet of His disciples. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent. Once again, Jesus is putting the final touches of the nail in that coffin about their pride. And then they sing a song and they go out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is right before the cross. And Jesus comes to this place in Gethsemane and when He gets to Gethsemane, we find that Jesus kneels and He prays. And He says, Oh, Father, if this cup cannot pass away from Me unless I drink it, Your will be done. We will go into the garden with Jesus and we'll see His agony and we'll hear Him pray. And we'll see as the disciples turn against Him, as He's arrested, we'll see those things. That's this path to the cross. Now, He's not at the cross yet, but He's right there by the cross at this time. And this is the path that we're going, the road that we're going to cover in this series. And I want to bring you back now to where we started. You see, the first thing that, first passage we read was Jesus said this this sickness about Lazarus was not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And you know, the real easy thing is to go, well, yeah, because Jesus was glorified because he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? And that's true. But there's more to it than that. Because you see, just a little bit later, Jesus prays. And Jesus says to the Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that Your Son also may glorify You. Jesus says this in John chapter 17. It's His great intercessory prayer that He prays for His disciples right before He goes to the cross. And then He says this, And now, O Father, glorify Me together with Yourself 
with the glory which I had with you before the world was. You see, Jesus, through all of this path, the glorification of Christ is coming. And that glorification, in the end, is where Jesus is headed. And that's what this road to the cross is. It's the road to the glorification where Jesus is once again reunited with His Father. Jesus is lifted up. This is going to be a fascinating journey. And I hope that you can be here. There's a lot of fascinating things. If you have a spiritual need, you know, this journey to the cross was a journey to fulfill our spiritual needs. It was a journey to save you and me. We live in a world today that's quickly uh, a nation that's claimed in the past to be a nation of Christianity, but it's not. It hasn't been for a long time, if it ever was. It's not now. People are turning away from God. And we need these stories. We need these messages. We need to learn the things that Jesus had to teach on the way to the cross. If you have a spiritual need to bring before the congregation, we do offer a song of invitation if you'll make that need known while we stand and sing.